Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host, as always, Daniel Levy, and today we're going to talk about UFC Charlotte, Jailton Almeida versus Jairzinho Rosenstruck, and it's going down this Saturday night live at the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. I said this Saturday night. I actually meant this Saturday morning, this Saturday afternoon. It's an early card, and you got Jairzinho Rosenstruck, who's a top 10 heavyweight, and he's taking on Jailton Almeida, who, man, they were like, all right, Jailton, you passed all the early tests we gave you. And now it's time to see what you how you stack up against the top 10, my man. I mean, there's no more, you know, there's no more Parker Porters. There's no more Anton the Pleasure Man Turkal. There's no more Shamil Abdurakimovs. Now it's like, hey, man, if you're the real deal, you're going to do exactly what you did to those guys here against Jairzinho Rosenstruck. And let's take a look at the official UFC rankings to see exactly what kind of a jump up in competition we're taking here. Um, when we're talking about Jailton Mahadinho Almeida. And for those that don't know, so I'm pretty damn sure that nickname means, you know, bad intentions in, in Portuguese or just like a mean guy, you know. Uh, my professor told me around the you know, last time he fought, I don't remember, but it was something like bad intentions or something like that. Okay, so the last dude that Jailton fought was Shamil. And I'm guessing Shamil was probably ranked, you know, what, 15 at the time, or maybe he had just gotten omitted from the rankings, right? So now we're like, hey, you passed all those tests with flying colors. So now we're going to put you in there with number nine in the world. And number nine in the world used to be number five in the world. But as you all know, man, this heavyweight division, I mean, it's always changing, man. You got the young up-and-comers like Tom Aspinall. You got the white and Ganu, Sergey Pavlovich, who's been on an absolute tear. So, yeah, man, I love what I've been seeing in the heavyweight division. So let's go ahead and break down this main event. So main event of the evening in the heavyweight division, we got... Jerzinho Rosenstruck, he's 13 and 4, taking on Jailton Almeida, who's 18 and 2. And currently they got it Jailton minus 500. The comeback on Jerzinho Rosenstruck is plus 375. So, according to these odds, it's a foregone conclusion that Jailton is just going to come out here, take this guy down, and whether it's a submission, whether it's a ground and pound stoppage, he's going to have his way with Jairzinho Rosenstruck. So that that's what these odds imply. I mean, let's just put it this way. This is scheduled for five rounds. Under four and a half rounds is minus 1,000. When's the last time y'all saw an under four and a half for minus 1,000, right? Now let's, let's, let's take it down a notch. Under three and a half rounds, minus 770. Under two and a half rounds, minus 450. Under one and a half rounds, minus 225. So basically what I'm trying to tell y'all is they don't expect Rosenstruck to even last half a round against Almeida. But here's the thing about Rosenstruck. So we, we know we know exactly what he brings to the table standing. I mean, former kickboxer, do had an extensive kickboxing background, and he's nasty on the feet, man. I mean, it might be a little bit on the lower volume side, but like all his UFC wins have been via knockout and he's knocked out some real guys too some legends you know some former champions some up-and-comers he's done the whole bit the only guys that have been able to beat him are you know legit francis and ganu a lot of people consider him to be the uncrowned champ and that's no disrespect to johnny bones at all uh to cyril gan the former interim champ and to curtis blades a perennial top five guy and volkov too how could i forget about that um so all top five guys have been able to come out here and beat Jairzinho Rosenstruck, but they all beat him differently than how Jailton is. The closest one you'd bring up is Curtis Blades, because Curtis was able to accrue some top control. Um, you know, I believe Curtis got one takedown every single round. And, you know, as soon as he wanted to get that, he was able to hold him down. So here's the thing with, with Jairzinho's ground game. So what I've noticed for a long time is, you know, Jairzinho, his takedown defense isn't the best, but his ground defense isn't that bad. Like he'll usually like get taken down and he kind of has that like Derek Lewis thing going on where like he'll give up side control. He'll kind of chill a little bit. And then when it's time to explode back up to his feet, he's pretty damn good at doing that. And he doesn't leave too many openings on the mat. 
Now, granted, he hasn't fought a black belt of the caliber of Jailton Almeida yet, of Mahadinho. So this might be the time where, you know, where Jairzinho, you know, he, he's historically very good at surviving on the mat, you know, maybe not sweeping, maybe not attempting submissions, but at least like you're not going to get off too much damage on him. He's able to minimize the damage and he's able to get back up to his feet, historically speaking. Here's where that might be a little bit different because Jailton Almeida, I mean, not only does he have that ridiculous jujitsu background, but he can also wrestle for MMA really damn well. And you go back to his contender series fight where he was in there with a serious Russian, a guy who, I mean, don't be surprised if that Nasser Dinov gets signed to the UFC, you know, in the next year or two, right? Um, and Jailton was out there taking that Russian down three times. Next fight, you know, makes his UFC debut against Danilo Marquez, who, listen, Danilo Marquez, he might not be the best, but he, he's a pretty well-respected black belt. And Jailton, the strike count was 30 to zero. The takedown count was two to zero. So Jailton, check this out. In his first two UFC fights, because remember when Hamza Chimaev had that cool stat about how, like, you know, he had only absorbed like one strike in his first like four UFC fights or whatever or something like that until he fought Gilbert Burns. So Jailton is on some similar stuff. His UFC debut against uh, Danilo, Danilo lands zero strikes. His sophomore appearance against Parker Porter, Parker Porter lands zero strikes. His next fight against Anton the Pleasure Man, Pleasure Man lands one strike. Next fight against Shamil, Shamil lands one strike. So Jairzinho needs to land more than one strike to do better than any of the previous opponents uh, Jailton's had inside the octagon. But really what it's going to come down to is, you know, obviously there's a chance that Jailton feels like, well, this is my first main event. Now I want to put on a show for the fans. And if Jailton wants to come out here and he wants to bang, he wants to test his stand-up in this fight specifically, probably a bad idea. I mean, unless you you have him so worried about the takedown, you're fainting those 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 takedown attempts to the point where now Jairzino starting to drop his hands. Then then you can surprise him with some strike standing. I just would not recommend striking with a guy like Jairzino, especially when your path to victory is so decisive, like it should be here for Jailton on the mat. So I guess what needs to happen here, or what we need to figure out, is how long is Jairzino going to survive on the mat with Jailton? Because, like I said. Jairzinho, like the people that have finished him in the octagon, finished him standing, right? And the times he been, he's been taken down inside the octagon, whether it was against Curtis Blades or some of these other guys, he's been able to survive on the mat and minimize damage and even be able to get back up. So you got to give Jairzinho credit for that. And this is a huge step up in competition compared to the guys that Jailton's been fighting up until this point. But that being said, Jailton's skill set is on such a level to where he should be able to come in here against a top 10 guy right now and honestly employ the same game plan he's been employing on all these other guys and have success doing so so for that reason i mean it's not a surprise i gotta go with the minus 500 favorite jailton almeida to get it done um is it going to be a ground and pound stoppage is it going to be a submission or i mean how like interesting would it be if like I said, Jairzinho can kind of survive on the mat, not take too much damage first couple rounds, then maybe the takedown attempts of Jailton start to slow down, and then maybe third, fourth, and fifth, Jairzinho can keep it standing, and maybe he can get the best of him there. I mean, that's a long shot, but just saying, like, when you're thinking about, like, what would be his game plan coming into this, I mean, I doubt his game plan is, I'm going to come out here and grapple with Jailton Almeida and get the best of that. You know, he probably knows he's got to survive some really tough spots. So let's see if he does. Let's see if he does. I'm not counting on it, but you never know. But that being said, Jailton Almeida via something on the mat is the pick here. No surprise. Co-main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division. We got Anthony Smith. He's 36 and 17, taking on Johnny Walker, who is 20 and 7. Currently, they got it. Anthony Smith minus 115, and Johnny Walker's minus 105. So it's a pick 'em with a slight lean on the vet, Anthony Smith. Um, you know, when Johnny Walker first came into the UFC, man, I was super high on him. I, I know some of y'all remember, like. I even thought that Johnny Walker could be a guy to give John Jones a serious fight. Reason being, I talk about this all the time, these guys' fights 
of these guys fight is because John Jones had such physical advantages over everyone um, at 205 for the longest time that like he'd get in there. He'd be 10 years younger than these guys. He'd be five inches taller. He'd have a 10 inch reach advantage. So it'd be like, man, when's there finally going to be some athletic specimen that could match John Jones on athleticism that could actually give him a real fight. And is not just like outmatched from the jump uh, physically, right? Athletically. So when Johnny Walker came to the UFC, six foot six, 82 inch reach, he's a big boy. He's, you know, remember those flying knees, those spins, like the shit he was doing his first couple UFC fights. I was like, God damn, like who's this guy? Right. Um, and he got exposed a little bit, ran into some roadblocks along the way, a few of them to be <laughs> to be frank. But it's good to see him back in the win column. It's good to see him, you know, rattle off two back to back first round finishes, showed some different elements of his game. And, you know, it's a. I say it's unfortunate where he's training, you know, at SBG under John Kavanaugh, you know, the New York Times bestselling author. But listen, man, if that's the right coach for Johnny, who am I to tell him any differently? Apparently, when he was with his Brazilian coaches, dude was, you know, <laughs> was bringing girls up to his hotel room on fight week and was just not focused. But now he's locked in. So who am I to say, you know, he's with the wrong people? Maybe for him, it's the right choice. Right. Because I've always thought that. Well, I thought that Johnny Walker was the guy right off the bat, but he had all those setbacks. So then I kind of adjusted my thinking to, okay, well, when Johnny Walker finally puts it together, I mean, he's a fucking problem. Here's the thing with Anthony Smith. He's a super vet. I mean, this guy's been around the game such a long time. I mean, we're talking about made his pro debut in 2007. And who knows how many street fights and amateur fights the guy had uh, before that, right? And Anthony Smith is a guy that, I mean, he's got 18 wins by knockout. He's got 15 wins by submission. So this guy's a finishing machine. And he was a guy that used to fight at middleweight. I think even before that, like long ass time ago, he might have even fought at welterweight. But now, you know, last few fights, fighting at 205, has been filling out his frame. Got a bunch of wins over legends at 205. So it's good to see, you know, a longtime vet like that doing his thing. My issue with Anthony Smith is that his fighting style is kind of predicated on comebacks, which I love a good comeback. You know, I mean, I've, I'm a huge fan of Cheeto Vera, and there's a lot of guys I enjoy watching that are known for their comebacks. It's just that, you know, when when you talk about actually coming out here and dominating someone for three rounds, that's just not really something I see Anthony Smith doing. If Anthony Smith is to win this fight, I think it's going to be, you know, him catching Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker has been chinned multiple times, but I think that Johnny Walker is going to be winning this fight until he gets his arm raised or until he gets caught. So my pick is Johnny Walker. You know, um, obviously you can't have too much confidence because you know the issues with his chin. He's got that tall man defense and he does not react the best to getting hit, but he's a super tough guy. Like he's one of those guys that when he gets dropped, he tries his best to get back up. I know he looks kind of goofy at times, but he's not, he's no like pushover in terms of like the mental and the heart side of things. Um, Johnny Walker's a super tough guy. It's just more so, you know, his durability ain't quite the best. And I'm sure he cuts a shit ton of weight to get down to 205. So for Anthony, to win this fight i mean i think it's got to be an opportunistic finish some kind of comeback or just catch him along the way i do not think anthony smith is going to just be picking him apart with a jab and calf kicks and mixing a takedown and you know just like dominating bell to bell I, I don't see that being the case i see it johnny walker like i said johnny walker is going to be winning this fight until he either gets his arm raised or until he gets caught somewhere along the way i'm gonna go with johnny walker to defeat anthony smith Featured bout in the welterweight division, we got Ian Machado Gary. He's 11 and 0, taking on Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez, who's 17 and 3. Currently, they got it. Ian Gary minus 300. The comeback on D. Rod is plus 265. I got a bone to pick, bro, because listen to this. So, Ian Gary, a guy that I love betting on, and I've bet on in a good majority of his fights, even at like stupid prices, <laughs> and he's come through every single time. And he's a talent that I'm high on. I'll explain why in a sec. But you know, when this fight first got announced, I mean, I heard people getting up on their high horse talking about how, oh, my God, it's red panning night. You know, D-Rod's going to be the one to finally expose Ian Gary and D-Rod's going to do all these things. So, you know, 
it was my sheer ignorance to wait on betting Ian Gary because I thought that some people on MMA Twitter actually had pull in these lines. I thought that people were going to actually come out here and steam Ian Gary. So, you know, Ian Gary is like minus 215 to minus 225. I'm like, all right, the D-Rod money is about to come in. I wake up the next day, it's Ian Gary minus 250. I'm like, all right, now the D-Rod money is going to come in. I wake up the next day, he's minus 275. I say the same shit. I wake up the next day, he's minus 300. It's like, fuck. So, like, are y'all, like, going to bet D-Rod or not? Like, because, like, y'all should go back on Twitter right now. Go find that fight announcement of this fight when my boy Big Marcel tweeted it out. And look how confident everyone was was on uh, D-Rod, talking about how they're going to take out loans, talking about how, oh, this is a once-in-a-lifetime betting opportunity, how D-Rod's going to be the one to expose uh, Gary. Well, the line's gone the opposite way. So people weren't putting their money where their mouth is or their units are so small that they have zero impact on the line. But it's just unfortunate. You know, it's a mistake on my part that I even read any of that bullshit because I should have just jumped on Ian Gary when he was minus 215, when he was minus 225. But unfortunately, I missed the line. And, you know, I don't bet with emotions. Um, so I, I, even though he might still come out here and cover this minus 300, um, it wasn't the price I was looking for, you know. Um, I think it's more accurate now versus, you know, before I thought there might have been some value. So it kind of sucks. But what I like about Ian Gary, man, I like everything about Ian Gary, to be honest with you. Um, I love the kid's confidence. He's super wise beyond his years. He was born in fucking 1997. He's just a kid. We've seen this guy come out here and land over 100 significant strikes in three-round fights more than once. We've seen him land knockdowns in three of his four UFC fights. And if you go back to his regional fights, I mean, the guy went five rounds. The guy can grapple. The guy can do it all. His cardio is on point. I mean, I like everything about Ian Gary. I think that he's a serious prospect, and I think he will be in the top 15 one day. Um, you know, the last fight, he did get dropped. Um, but I, I just want to say this, man. Like, in that fight where he got dropped against Song Keenan, I mean, firstly, he beat the living shit out of, out of Keenan Song, man. But it was, one of those, it was one of those things where, like, you drop your hands against the heavy hitter. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. You get touched. And, and that's just how it goes, man. But, you know, Keenan Song's a guy that has more knockouts in the UFC than Daniel Rodriguez. And Keenan Song's a guy that has more knockouts overall than Daniel Rodriguez. So I'm not, I'm not discrediting D-Rod at all. I'm just saying that, you know, just because Ian was such a big favorite last time and he got dropped, like, don't let that fool you from the fact that Keenan Song, like, even in that fight, I was saying, there's one way Keenan Song can win this fight, and that's by knockout because Keenan Song hits hard. He doesn't do anything else, but he hits fucking hard. So let's not act like Ian Gary got dropped by some pillow fist guy. Ian Gary got dropped by a heavy hitter, and he recovered great, and then he destroyed the guy the next two rounds. So, yeah, and then, you know, when you talk about his four UFC fights, first one gets that first-round knockout. The next one, you know, Darian Weeks was avoiding the fight the whole time, uh, pushing him up against the fence, and Ian still doubled him up on strikes. The the Gabe Green fight, I think I bet him like minus 155. I mean, landed over 100 significant strikes, got a knockdown against a super tough guy in Gabe Green, covered that price tag. And then the Song Keenan fight, you know, he was like minus 800. Unfortunately, he got dropped. So, so you know, you could say he didn't cover it because he lost a round. But like when you look at the box score, I mean, he outstruck him just on significant strikes, 127 to 55. Um, Oh, it's funny. And on total strikes as well, because every single strike that Ian landed was a significant strike. As far as D-Rod's concerned, I mean, look, the guy's got good output. He's got decent hands. Um, that's what he's known for. He's a vet. I like him. He comes to fight. He's an exciting guy. Um, I just think he's going to be a little bit on the slower side. I think that, you know, D-Rod does best when he's got a big reach advantage over these guys, when he's got the height advantage. And he's got neither in this spot. Um, so while, yeah, obviously D-Rod's got good hands and you can't discount the fact, look, Ian got dropped a, co a couple months ago. So would I be shocked if it happened again here? No, but I'm going to predict that doesn't happen here. I'm going to predict that Ian Gary kind of keeps D-Rod on the outside. You know, they have a competitive fight, but a competitive fight where Ian Gary is clearly ahead. And, um, we talk about Ian Gary getting dropped against, uh, Keenan Song, but how come no one ever mentions what Dwight Grant did to D-Rod uh, in their fight? Um, 
Dwight Grant floored D-Rod. And Dwight Grant, also a hard hitter, just like uh, Keenan Song. So both guys have been dropped uh, early in fights, man. And here, don't don't be surprised that Ian Gary is the first man in the UFC to knock out uh, D-Rod. I, I can see it happening. I can also see a three-round fight. Uh, but bottom line, I'm going Ian Gary. And I hope that all these people that were acting like it's red panty night, that D-Rod's a big dog, put their money where their mouth is and maybe actually move the line because I still have hope that I can get a good price on Ian Gary, but I'm not going to force a bet at a shitty line. That's just the bottom line, but give me a good line on Ian Gary and I'm in. Um, so let's see what happens between now and, uh, and Friday or Saturday. Right. But my pick is Ian Gary. Uh, now next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Carlos Olberg. He's seven and one taking on Ihor Potieria, who's 19 and three. Currently, they got it. Carlos Olberg minus four fifty. The comeback on Ehor plus three twenty five, plus three seventy in some books. You know, there's another one where you know I missed the line. I kind of liked. Uh, you know, I kind of liked uh, Olberg in this spot, right? Um, Olberg has been coming through for me, man. I mean, like I picked Kennedy against him because I thought that was too big of a step up, and then I bought, and then I I bet. Uh, Carlos and a buy low spot against Fabio Chiron and Fabio Chiron is literally like one of the worst fighters in the history of the sport. Like go look at the strike counts in the Fabio Chiron fight. Fabio Chiron lands four strikes in round one, lands seven strikes in round two, lands two strikes in round three. So when you have a guy that's not even willing to throw a punch, you just do whatever you want, you know? You just have to land two punches to his zero, and you go out there and win. And that's exactly what Carlos Olberg did. So took no unnecessary risks, you know, even mixed in some takedowns to show off some new aspects of his game, handled him easily, like scot-free, didn't even get touched in that fight. So that was nice, and it was only minus 200. Next fight against Tafan. I mean, I know Tafan, Tafan gave Azama uh, Mirzakhanov his hardest fight inside the octagon. And Olberg just treated him like he was nothing. And then the next fight against Nikolai Negumariana, who's known for being this tough, durable guy who just gets in everybody's face and breaks guys. I mean, you should have seen the combo that, that Carlos Olberg landed. So he hits him with a jab. He steps back. And as Nikolai's trying to close that distance, just fucking cracks him with a nasty check left hook. It, it, it was textbook. It was beautiful. So I think the, the ceiling's pretty high for this kid, Olberg. Here with Ihor... You know, the jury's still out on him because he had an immensely padded record coming to the UFC. And when I say padded, uh, let me let me let me explain to you what I mean by padded. When I say padded, Ihor Petraria was 13 and 2 fighting a guy that was 0 and 0. He was 14 and 2 fighting a guy that was 0 and 3. He was 16 and 2 fighting a guy that was 5 and 2. So you understand what I'm, he was eight and two fighting a guy that's oh and oh seven and two fighting a guy that's one and two. So he's got a super padded record. But listen, he came into the contender series as a big underdog and he performed, got that first round stoppage. Then he broke against his first real step up in competition against Nikolai. And then uh <laughs> I did one of my worst bets of the year. I bet on the legend Mauricio Shogun in his retirement fight. UFC were literally like, Shogun, we dug to the bottom of the barrel to try to get you a win in your retirement fight in Brazil. Here's this 0-1 guy who's never been in there with anybody. Like, here's your chance. Shogun actually landed some strikes early, but when it was time for Shogun to receive the strikes, you know, just couldn't eat them like he used to. And, you know, the kid got the biggest win of his career, but now it's back to reality. The only thing is the price sucks, man. I mean, you know, minus, what, minus 450? And they're big boys. They're going to be banging. So there's a chance that Olberg can get caught. Uh, but mo more than likely, I think Olberg is a lot sharper, uh, a lot cleaner, a lot more precise than Ehor. So for that reason, I'm going to pick him. Dude, you know what's funny? <laughs> um, so you know how I was talking about how, like, with the Ian Gary fight, you know, he's minus 300 now. And I was pissed I missed out on that minus 225. You know some of the shit I've been seeing on, on MMA Twitter, bro? So y'all saw how, like, you know, Olberg is like minus 450, right? But like, I think back on like Sunday, he was like minus 280. So Sunday, he's minus 280. And then I know, you know, 
one of my good friends is a serious sharp and he steamed that line from minus 280 to minus 400. So by Monday, Ehor, I mean, uh, Carlos is already minus 400. And then come Tuesday, I'm seeing dudes posting tickets with like minus 280 Olberg. Like <laughs> you're posting it after the line moved like a dollar fifty or more. Like, like, like Jonah Hill cut, cut. So basically what I'm trying to say is I should just go ahead and post a, a, a quote unquote bet on Ian Gary minus 215 today and act like I took that, right? You know, I, I'm sure that'll look really good for my reputation. So I'm just saying, man. If you missed the line, like don't 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 be out here bullshitting. Like don't be out here posting fake shit. Like could y'all imagine if like I'm just saying, could y'all imagine like so Ian Gary hasn't been in the 200s for a few days now. Could you imagine if I posted a bet on Ian Gary at minus 225 like 3 days after the line moved over a dollar <laughs> like y'all would be like the fuck is wrong with you? And that's the kind of shit I've been seeing with Olberg, dude. Like I said, Sunday to Monday, Olberg went from minus 280 to minus 400. Tuesday and Wednesday, I'm seeing guys posting uh, bets on Olberg in the minus 200s. Like, 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 stop, stop, stop the fraudulence, please. Stop the fraudulence. You know what I'm saying? And plus, no one can fucking tail something that's moved like close to two dollars three days after the fact. Like, like, stop. You know. But that being said, I got Carlos Olberg to win this fight. The line got away from me, so, you know, I'm not going to be one of these guys that I'm not going to come out here now on Wednesday and post a minus two something on Olberg when that line hasn't been around since Sunday. Olberg is still my pick, though. Next up in the welterweight division, we got a matchup between Tim Means. He's 13 and he's 32 and 14, taking on Alex Morano, who's 22 and eight. Currently, they got it. Alex Morano minus 225. The comeback on Tim Means is plus 180. Um, yeah, this is a great fight. And, you know, if this was a few years ago, I'd actually be interested in these odds on Tim means, uh, because I think historically speaking, this is a very closely matched fight. My only issue is, you know, Tim means is he's getting up there, you know, he's getting close to 40 years old. And the thing about it is like, if you take away the age, all the numbers statistically, in terms of the striking numbers and the grappling numbers, they all say that Tim Means is a very live dog in this spot, and they all say that at the very least, at the very least, Tim Means should be competitive in this fight. The thing I'm worried about is the one stat that isn't going Tim Means' way is the age. You know, he's six years older, and he's you can see his durability isn't what it once was. Now that might not matter. He might still come out here and get an upset anyways, but so. Let's just break down their styles. Tim Means, super long, 6'2", with a 75-inch reach. Very good with the hand fighting and firing those shots straight down the middle. Calf kicks. Also, don't sleep on his takedown game either. You know, he's been around in the game a long time. He's a seasoned vet at this point. Good volume as well. Alex Morano, kind of a very unorthodox style, bounces on his toes, and he swings some bungalows, man, especially when he's got you backed up into the fence. Um, and then he's also got a black belt in jujitsu, but he kind of uses it in like reverse. Like if you shoot on him, he's got a nasty guillotine waiting for you. But on the flip side, sometimes he'll give up position like in that Jordan Meehan fight and he'll kind of be held down. So, you know, there's pros and cons. Also, he's coming off a knockout loss. I mean, like I said, a few years ago, I would definitely bet Tim Means at this price. It's just the age and the waning durability that's that's giving me the the cause for concern. So I'm going to pick Alex Morano, but it's not a confident pick, and it's not something I'm interested in. It's a dog or pass situation at the betting window, but pure pick Morano, but, you know, I'm not interested at what? At um, minus 225? Like, when I'm betting Alex Morano at minus 225, it's against, like, Josh Berkman, where I'm, like, guaranteed a first-round finish. I have a feeling this can be a three-round war, unless Tim's just durability doesn't hold up, but we'll see. I mean, it's not like Alex Morano is Mr. Durable either. So this, God, I just wish Tim Means wasn't 39 or 40, man. Like, give me Tim Means at 35 years old at, at this price, and I, I'd bet him here. But it's not the case, so unfortunately I have to pass. Uh, next up in the welterweight division, we got the welterweight KO King, Matt Brown. He's 23 and 19, taking on Court McGee, who's 21 and 11. Currently they got it Court McGee 
minus 235 to come back on Matt Brown, plus 200. Similar, similar to the means fight. If you gave me this price on Matt Brown a few years ago, I mean, it's a fucking no-brainer. I mean, it's I wouldn't even think twice I'd play it. It's just you got to understand, you know, the regard we hold Matt Brown in is so high because when we think of Matt Brown, we think of all of his epic KOs. We think of, I think of the destruction of Pete Sell where he knocked the man out three times in one fight. I think of the destruction of Eric Silva. I think of the destruction of Jordan Meehan, the destruction of Mike Pyle, um, the destruction of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Even back in the day in someone's basement in Atlanta when he was the only man to finish Douglas Lima via strikes, and to take it a step further, he's the only man to finish both Lima brothers via strikes. Pretty interesting, right? And something that Court McGee and Matt Brown have in common they're, they both died and came back to life. So, fuck, man. What can stop these guys, right? True badasses. So, I think Matt Brown's actually better than Court McGee. It's just Court McGee has a way of pushing the pace on guys and kind of getting them super fatigued and then being able to mix in takedowns. And one issue I've had in Matt Brown's recent fights, like especially that, that Barbarana fight, it looked like Matt Brown was the way better fighter. He just gassed out so badly and Again, Matt Brown is not 35. Matt Brown is 42, guys. That means he will be 43 in his next birthday, okay? That means his last birthday he was 41. That means that he is not the same, the same prime Matt Brown. The same, so that's what makes it tough, you know? Um, I still think he can win this fight, though. Uh, it's just the longer it goes, you probably have to favor kind of the work rate of Court McGee and maybe the ability to mix in takedowns, but... Matt's always live for a KO. Court's coming off a KO. Matt's got the most KOs in the history of this weight class. If Matt gets another KO, he'll tie Derek Lewis for the all-time UFC KO king. So I'd love to see it. And since I'm going to be in attendance for this fight um, and I don't have a bet on this fight, I'm going to pick Matt Brown uh, just because historically speaking, I think he wins this fight. I think like when you compare them both in their primes, I think Matt Brown was always better than the Cormac. I mean, Matt Brown made it to number five in the world at welterweight. Court McGee, I don't think he ever touched the rankings, but if he did, it was no better than like 14 or 15, right? Whereas Matt Brown, he, he made it to a title eliminator against Robbie Lawler. Like Matt Brown like had like a seven or eight fight win streak, was number five in the world, made it to that title eliminator with Robbie Lawler. L Robbie Lawler, they had an amazing fight, and that's kind of where his streak ended. But Matt Brown knows what it means to be number five in the world at one point. Court's never reached those heights. Court beat Whitaker back in the day at 70s, though. That's pretty cool. Um, so, I mean, like I said, Court should be able to push the pace on him, but I'm going to be at this fight. I don't have a bet on it, so I'm going to pick biasedly. Don't even listen to what I have to say. I'm going to go Matt Brown to extend his record for most knockouts in welterweight history and tie the record for all-time knockouts in UFC history. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got a matchup between ATL's own Carl Williams. He's 8-1, and one, taking on Chase Sherman, who is 16-11. and 11. And currently, they got it. Carl Williams, minus 400. The comeback on Chase Sherman's plus 310. I mean, I think we know the dynamic here. Chase Sherman, big leg kicks, doesn't really move his head off the center line. But he's obviously known for his striking. He's not known for his grappling. <laughs> Even though he did take down Waldo in that first round. Carl Williams, um, pretty stud wrestler. I mean, he's not like D1 or anything. But, I mean, he wrestled with Cody Durden in high school. So he's good friends with him. I've So what I love about Carl Williams is that I actually called his amateur fights in the NFC and I pride myself on my eye for talent. And Carl Williams never really was on my radar as someone that's like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be in the UFC one day. So the fact that like I called multiple of his fights and was never like, eh, I was just like, yeah, whatever. And he's all and now he's in the UFC winning fights. Hey, Carl, tip, tip, tip my cap to you, bro. That's pretty fucking impressive um, that you made it this far. And, yeah, I'm going to root for ATL zone. He's got a huge path to victory here with the wrestling. Are there some concerns about him gassing? Sure. But let's let's not sit here. Don't sit here and look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me Chase Sherman is some cardio machine because he's absolutely not. So, yeah, are there going to be maybe some sketchy moments along the way? Sure. But I think ultimately Carl Williams is going to be able to implement that takedown game, break Sherman late, come out here and get a second UFC win. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got a match between Cody Stamen. He's 21 and 5, taking on Douglas Silva D'Andrage, who's 28 and 5. Currently, they got it. Cody Stamen minus 140. The comeback on Douglas Silva D'Andrage is plus 120. 
so Cody Stamen, I mean, I've pretty much had the same scouting report on him since day one, where it's like Cody Stamen is just super solid and he does just enough to get the job done. He's not going to blow anybody away with anything spectacular, but he's just solid meat and potatoes, good takedown defense, good offensive wrestling, good striking. He's a solid point fighter. Um, I got a lot of respect for Cody Stamen. Um, he's been able to kind of maintain that same spot throughout his entire UFC career. So props to him. And Douglas uh, Silva DeAndrade has also been around the block a long time. He's a little bit different, though. He's more of a power hitter. Um, he's more of kind of like a Brazilian bruiser, kind of gets right in your face. And that's what's going to make this an intriguing fight. And just like most Stamen fights, um, they tend to be pretty fucking close. Usually Stamen does just enough to get the job done, but all his fights seem to be, for the most part, within reach for the opponent. So if you're coming out here taking these dog odds on De Silva, uh, Silva De Andrade, I don't blame you. Like I said, every Cody Stamen fight, like Cody doesn't, Cody Stamen doesn't make statements. Cody Stamen just kind of ekes by, which like it's easy to discredit that, but the fact that he's been able to do it for this long and he's just He's just solid. So I just, he's a solid winner. I just respect him. Um, you know, you could make the argument that maybe Cody Stamen's kind of plateaued a little bit. Whereas, not that he's necessarily on a decline, but just that it's the same Cody Stamen that we've always seen um, throughout his entire career. We're not going to get any surprises. And on the flip side, you're not going to get any su surprises from Douglas. So it's what do you favor? Kind of the kind of play it safe approach of cody stamen or the kind of you know bruising harder hitter style of douglas silva deandrage so you know I, I see this being one that could that could realistically go either way so i understand why some consider it a dog or pass situation i kind of personally think that stamen's going to be slightly ahead just, just slightly ahead not by much just slightly ahead so that's going to get him the decision but there's absolutely chances for douglas to to you know, swing rounds with big moments, hurt him, rock him, wobble him, whatever the case may be, threaten, uh, threaten a submission when, uh, when Stamen goes for a takedown attempt, whatever the case may be. So it's going to be a competitive three round fight. Most likely I'd say the finish upside is for De Silva. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna go Stamen via decision. That's historically how he's won these fights. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Natan Levy. He's eight and one, taking on Pete Rodriguez, who's five and one. Currently, they got it. Natan Levy minus two thirty. The comeback on Pete Rodriguez is plus one ninety five. So, um, a lot of people have been coming in here and betting Pete Rodriguez uh, for the upset, and I, I feel like we don't really we. So, I feel like. We do know a good bit about Pete, and we kind of don't know a good bit a, a good bit about Pete. What we know about Pete is that the guy's a brawler. The guy's gonna come out here, like even dating back to his amateur days. He's got a lot of first round knockouts, and then here in his professional, um, you know, career, he's won every single fight via first round knockout. The one time he lost, he took a t on a top 15 guy in Jack Della, and he got stopped in the first round, but there's no shame in that. There's no shame in getting stopped by a guy. You, kid, you were 4-0 and fighting Jack Della Madalena, so I, I'm not going to hold that against him. So to me, it's just about, you know, what do we not know about Pete? Like, is there a ground game that we just don't know about? Is there a wrestling game? Is there a cardio past the first round? Is there cardio past the first couple minutes? Um, you know, what does he bring to the table beyond the brawling? And I love the brawling just as a fan. Who doesn't love watching first round knockouts? I mean, I'm all for it, man. Uh, hold on one second. Got to kill a spider. The motherfucker thought he was going to pull a... <laughs> pull a fast one on me i don't think so you son of a bitch I'm, I'm just pissed off i didn't grab him with my bare hand but we still got him out the way you know so it's over young man but as far as his concern listen i just see natan being the more well-rounded guy here so here's the thing we know what natan we know natan's game natan is a good kicker he's a physical guy he can mix in takedowns got good top controls got a little sneaky leg lock game moved out his comfort zones training at extreme couture so and he's getting better every fight so we kind of we know what to expect from natan we just don't know what to expect from pete 
besides early chaos. Pete is a guy that's going to come out here and try to to bang. And I love that about him. How can you not love someone that's going to come to bang? I just need some questions answered. What happens past the two-minute mark? What happens if takedowns are involved? What happens if we go to the second and third round? What happens when you're finally fighting someone that's not fucking Mike Jackson? So, you know, I mean, where, where would you all line me against Mike Jackson? Real talk, you know? So I, I think uh, I'm not open to be to being proven wrong that maybe there's areas of, you know, Pete Rodriguez's game that we just haven't seen yet and it's not his fault he's knocking all these guys out in under two minutes like credit to you man it's just that as the level of competition keeps increasing keeps increasing are you going to be able to keep doing that and i can't say that for sure whereas with natan levy i have seen those incremental improvements every single fight i know he's got a, a style that can last three rounds and i know exactly what he brings to the table so for that reason i'm going with natan levy uh to come out here and I don't know if it's going to be a decision. I don't know if he's going to maybe submit him late. Um, but, you know, first, the early going is going to be tough because Pete's going to come right at him. Also, what's this weight cut going to be like for Pete? You know, this is his first time fighting at 55s in the UFC. You know, I'm sure he'll be fine. But let's let's just see. You know, I got to see it first. So I just there's, just, there's just too many unknowns for Pete. I respect him, though. I love his fighting style. But Natan, a lot more proven to me. And I also think they're trying to hook Natan up with some winnable matchups to kind of get his name up there and build, you know, the, the Middle Eastern market a little bit, you know, and get, get a big card going down there at some point. So that's all narrative speculative talk. But back to the matchup, I just think Natan has more ways to win. Um, and for that reason, I'm going to pick him to, to come out here and win this fight. I know there's been talk about Natan's cardio, but, I mean, he pushes through it, man. He pushes through it. I mean, he won the third round. Um, his last fight, you know, against a tough ass Mexican, a dude that that was he wasn't willing to, to die in there. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, when I say he wasn't willing to die, I mean that like as in like as in he had a never say die attitude. I because I, like you know some guys it's like when, okay, so I, I don't like talking about this because you don't want to actually see someone die in there. But there's the whole mentality of like you know this guy I'm willing to go in there and die. So what I meant by that was Geraldo, he does have that killer be killed attitude, but he wasn't, um, you know, Natan wasn't ready to quit, you know, and Natan might have got tired, but Natan did the right things and and sealed that decision. So I just think I just think he's kind of been proven a bit more, uh, Natan. So I got to go with him here for sure. All right. Now these next three fights, man. <laughs> next up in the flyweight division y'all start getting your questions ready for me man because we're going to fly by these next uh these next few uh next up in the flyweight division Gian kim nine six and two taking on mandy boom who's seven and two currently they got it Gian kim minus 190 the comeback on mandy boom is plus 155 so let me just tell y'all my history with Gian kim so i wanted to max better against this chick named melinda fabian who uh you know was a joke and even that fight like was like a split decision. So I don't trust Gian Kim at prices like this and heavy chalk. I still think she's got enough to win this fight because Mandy, y'all want to know what Mandy's showing inside the octagon? I'll, I'll tell y'all exactly what Mandy's showing inside the octagon. She hasn't shown shit inside the octagon, okay? <laughs> she's got a negative strike ratio. She eats double the amounts that she lands. Um, doesn't go for, doesn't land takedowns. I mean just doesn't look like someone that uh is gonna stick around but you never know maybe she needed those first two to get comfortable but still you lost to victoria leonardo unanimously um and then Gian kim i've always liked her style because she comes out to bang you know she's had a couple tough matchups uh she puts up good numbers just needs to get her arm raised and i think uh saturday night in charlotte she's gonna get her arm raised with more activity being slightly meaner more experience and just go out there and get that decision win next up in the welterweight division we got gabe green he's 11 to 4 taking on brian battle who's eight and two currently they got it gabe green minus 135 the comeback on brian battles plus 110 so i've faded gabe green twice against phil rowe and against ian gary and i thought that both my guys performed well there but i respect gabe green he's just like a tough junkyard dog um he's a he's a, he's a kind of guy that's going to go out there and brawl and just be exciting get in your face um never quit never give up 
big leg kicks like you saw in the Phil Rowe fight, insane chin like you saw in the Ian Gary fight, and just an indomitable spirit. So I, I enjoy watching him. For a guy that's not super athletic, he brings it. So it's fun to watch. And Brian Battle, um, you know, he's going to be a bit physically bigger than Gabe Green for sure. I mean, we're dealing with a guy that's six foot one with a 77-inch reach. So he's going to have, you know, a three-inch height advantage. Um, he's going to have a four-inch reach advantage. He's the younger guy. But, man, Brian Battle got so badly exposed that last fight. I'm talking like, listen to this, in a three-round fight, a 15-minute fight, this dude, Brian Battle, lands a total of three strikes and gets taken down seven times. Now, granted, that's against a 20-2 and two Russian. But it was like a – wasn't it like pick them or close to it? Like, And people were like stamping their flags on Brian Battle against like a serious Russian um and like even the Treshawn Gore fight, I thought that was more Treshawn about what Treshawn did wrong than what about than what Brian did right. I'm not trying to discredit him. Does have that win over Petrovsky on the Ultimate Fighter? Granted, it was an exhibition fight, but you still beat a really good dude in an exhibition fight. Um, it, it's a tough one to call. I kind of think Gabe Green's work rate is going to be the difference, but Brian Battle is the more physical guy, so that should be interesting. Yeah, this one could probably go either way, but I'm going to slightly lean towards Gabe Green. Um, and then last but not least, we got a matchup between Jessica Rose Clark. She's 11-8, and eight, taking on Tynera Lisboa, who's 5-2. and two. Currently, they got it. Tynera Lisboa, minus 115. Jessica Rose Clark is minus 105. So, like, basically with this fight, we got one fighter and Jesse Jess, who, you know, I... I I enjoy watching her, and I'll always be grateful when she cashed that that ticket against uh, Paige Van Zant for me. I think it was like plus one hundred five or something. So I'll always be grateful. I enjoy her personality; she's fun to watch. But kind of seems to me like you know she's kind of hit a bit of a decline. She's kind of on her way out, especially losing the last two fights the exact same way um, against lower level opponents. Um, so. I mean, but at her best, what I like about Jesse Jess is like, if y'all go back and watch her pre UFC fights, like she was like a big girl and she like had a big transformation. She got her body right and, you know, she made it to the UFC, got some wins in the UFC. So she's come a long way. So I respect that. It seems like a cool chick. Uh, but here with Lisboa. So Lisboa is like a two time Muay Thai world champion. She's a purple belt in jiu jitsu. Hasn't really fought anybody. I'm mean, well, I say that she made her fucking debut against Norma Dumont. Now, granted, she got choked out in the first round, but still, that's a serious debut. Uh, Norma Dumont also in her Muay Thai days fought Valentina, so she's been in there with some real people. But all her MMA fights, she's crushed total cans. But like I said, she she wasn't competitive with the cans. She crushed the cans like you're supposed to. Um, so now she gets her step up in competition against kind of like an aging vet in and jesse jess so it's really about do you take the just experience of jesse jess jesse who's kind of like on a bit of a decline kind of on her way out but she's still more proven and experienced or do you kind of go with the unknowns and kind of take the upside of lisboa who you know she doesn't seem bad just hasn't fought anybody yet right and now is her chance to fight somebody but somebody that's compromise someone that's kind of on their way out so another one that could go either way but i'm gonna lean with the newcomer man i just think the i just think that her trajectory is slightly higher at this point in their respective careers and even though she hasn't proven shit yet jesse jess ain't a world beater by any means so this is a good fight to get your feet wet inside the octagon let's see exactly where you stand um so i see it being an honest fight um i it could go either way realistically but i'll, I'll pick the newcomer here all right, I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And then after that, I'm going to answer anything y'all got for me. So start submitting your questions. My boy says, I'm late. Dude, it's all good. You can just rewind to, to the beginning of the show and, and check it out. The fight to watch. The fight to watch is Carlos Olberg versus Ihor Pacheria. There's a reason they moved it to the main card. I mean, these two are going to most likely stand and bang until one man falls, and the winner is going to move up to you know the top 20, the, the end of the top 15. It's going to get a big showcase fight next where it's like not necessarily a showcase, but even like uh, a prospect battle, a prospect showdown, right? Like let's see exactly where you stack. So big fight for both of them, and it's going to be exciting. So for that reason, Olberg versus Botreria is my fight to watch, and my fighter to watch is my prospect, Ian Machado Gary, man. Um, 
I think that this kid's special. I think that he's a future top 15 guy, and now he's got the biggest test of his career against D-Rod, who's no pusher, no pushover whatsoever. So let's see exactly where you stand, Ian Gary, and I think he is the real deal. I think he is a future top 15 guy. So uh, for that reason, Ian Gary is my fighter to watch. All right, cool. Um, and, y'all, I'm going to be at UFC Charlotte. So if y'all see me, come holler at me. Um, I'm very friendly for the most part. <laughs> so if y'all want to say hi, whatever the case may be, I'm down to interact for sure. And, yeah, y'all show me love and I'll show it back. Right, I'm going to scroll up to the top of the chat. And I'm going to see what y'all got for me. Wiz, looking forward to this one. I appreciate that, my guy. Ghost Gardner, let's fucking go. Let's fucking go. Ben said Aspinall book versus Tybora. Good to see Aspinall back. I'm very excited about this. Amish Woodmilk finally able to catch this live. I appreciate that. But guys, don't don't feel pressure to catch this live. Like I said, you can always catch the replay. It's available on all platforms. As long as you get the information, that's all I care about. But the fact that you made an effort to come catch it live, thank you, man. That, that means a lot. Um so monk mm monk maddox or is it monk mma addicts i know exactly who you are I, for some reason people call you monk so i don't know how to pronounce the rest of it but he said what's up daniel very much looking forward to seeing jailton fight again great show thanks my brother i appreciate that and you keep up your good work as well dude um ufc shell says jailton takedown under 30 seconds definitely gonna shoot under 30 seconds i'll tell you that much um Ghost Gardner says, love me, Aspinall. Just wish they gave him a real contender or player in the division. Well, Marcin Tybur is a top 10 guy. Aspinall's coming off a serious injury. Like, let's 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 ease back into it. If he beats Tybur how he's supposed to, then he'll hop right back in there with the big fights of the division. Make no doubt about it. Jay Weezy, shout out Dan the man. Were you ever able to access the super chat money I sent you? Bro, I haven't been able to get a dime that anybody sent me. So I'm super grateful that you donated, you know, it was no obligation, but the fact that you went out of your way to donate to the show means a lot. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen a penny of it. Um, if anyone's interested, and this is obviously not an obligation, but if you view this as like buying me a beer or, or maybe you cashed on last week on Bilal and Jean and you want to give me a tip, which is not required, but if you want to, my cash app and Venmo and PayPal info is in the description of the show. Cause yeah, for whatever reason, YouTube, they're like holding my money for years now. I haven't gotten a dime from it, which is fucking crazy. But man, I really appreciate the just just the sentiment means a lot, man. Um, yeah, and Monk said the right thing. You know, Aspinall's got to let's let's just test that knee out at first, and then take it from there. Um, Rick said Sterling legit champ. Hey, I can't deny it. He, I thought. You know, you all know how I felt about Sterling in the past, but these last two fights, he's won fair and square, beat the living shit out of TJ, arm or not. And then I thought he beat Henry three to two. Uh, Abu Dhabi said, I love everyone saying I'm not convinced on Jamal Hill. Jiri going to beat him. Uh, getting the Bilal hater vibes on Hill. What do you think the odds will be? The odds are already out. Hill's like minus 155. Um, Londo said Almeida will be champion. Um, well, I mean, like you think he's going to beat John Jones or you think John Jones is going to vacate and then, uh, Almeida's going to have to like beat Sergey Pavlovich. Cause once you get to the top of the top, it's a different beast. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, small world says, call me crazy. May Brown, uh, Brown round one KO after what Wells did to court, uh, to, uh, court. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see it. I'm going to be in attendance. There would be nothing that would make me happier than a Matt Brown knockout. Not because I have anything against Court, but because I'm such a big Matt Brown fan and I'd love to see him extend, you know, extend his record for most knockouts in welterweight history and, and tie the overall record for most knockouts in UFC history. So that would be a badass. David Dean says, I think the time to fade Ian Gary may have finally arrived, but the age and volume difference are making me hesitant. I personally don't think it's the time to fade Ian Gary yet. Um, doesn't mean I'm right. I mean, I've been wrong many times. I'll be wrong many more times, but I, I'm not. I'm not fading him here. In fact, I want to bet him if I can get a good fucking line. So hopefully, some action comes in on D Rod for my sake. Um, Big Bird says people love to talk about how Ian Gary is a fraud, yet my bank account argues differently. That's what I'm saying, Big Bird. I mean, 
Ian Gary, Yan Nam, Blah Muhammad, Jamal Hill. Keep keep calling them frauds, and uh, we'll keep laughing all the way to the bank. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Burns only had one arm, but like a few hours prior, people are sharing pictures of Bilal's ballooned up ankle. But once Bilal wins, oh, all of a sudden the ballooned up ankle is not a talking point anymore. So people are just selective haters. And most importantly, they're just bitter because they keep losing money uh, betting against Bilal Muhammad. I don't get it. Like, you haven't learned your lesson that it's not profitable at all fading Bilal. Hopefully now you learn because we're going to get dog odds again when he fights for the belt and uh, act accordingly. Um, Abu Dhabi says, since when has Gary covered any of his price tags? Um, I don't know. Let's look at his box scores real quick. First fight, first round knockout. Second fight, doubles the guy up on strikes. Next fight, gets a knockdown and lands over 100 significant strikes. Next fight, gets a knock, gets a knockout and lands over 100 significant strikes. So I'd say he's been pretty damn close every time. Maybe not the last time because he was minus 800, but he still beat the shit out of the dude. So I'm I'm sold on Gary personally. Big Bird says he thinks this is the fight Ian gets his first submission. Yeah, I mean, don't sleep on his ground game, man. Like I saw it in Cage Warriors. The guy, the guy, the guy's very well rounded. Um Abu Dhabi, you said he'll win at minus 300. Nah. Not to call you out, bro, but you didn't have an you had zero issue laying like minus 400 on JJ Aldrich, but all of a sudden minus 300 Ian Gary is too much for you. Come on, dog. Be consistent. Um Londo wants to ride with D-Rod. He thinks he's live for the upset. And he thinks the odds are disrespectful. You Good. You need to think for yourself. Doesn't matter what I say. Doesn't matter what anyone says. What matters is what you say. And if that's what you think, then you need to go to the betting window and, and take advantage, man. You know? Like, that's just the bottom line. You got to think for yourself on this. Creep said best breakdowns on YouTube. I appreciate that, my man. And everyone do me a huge favor. Smash the like button. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. And then when this is over, leave me a comment. And if you feel so inclined, share this as well. Truly appreciate that. Um, let's see. <laughs> Creep said Ehor is Dan's favorite fighter. I got nothing against him, um, but that is funny. Let's see. Dirty Rex says, my book got Olberg minus 455. I know, so you should post a, a ticket on, you should post a bet on uh, Olberg like minus like 280 and act, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> See if anyone notices. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all right, y'all got anything else for me? Jared says, hopping in late, but hope y'all are having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too, man. And like I said, just because y'all are late doesn't mean you can't go back to the beginning of the show. And start it from there, man. It's all good. Uh, Londo said Almeida will be champion. You heard it here first. Um, yeah, uh, but, you know, that's contingent on a lot of things. Beating Rosenstruck doesn't mean you're going to be champ. Uh, but if you can beat John Jones, if you can beat, you know, I wish Francis was still there, but you know you know what I'm saying. If you can beat one of those guys, Sergey, then we can have that conversation. Um. All right. <laughs> my boy said, rest in peace, that spider. Yeah, man. He never had a chance. Like, don't don't walk up on me during my fucking show, man. Like, don't try to interrupt my live stream and di disrupt my peace. You know what I'm saying? Um Um Dirty Rex said, Levy been a decisionator. Yeah, but like, is that like an issue like y'all know if someone wins a decision you still get paid if you bet on them right so like y'all like need to take your fan caps off sometimes and put on your fucking investor cap like i don't give a fuck if it's a dq a decision a ko a sub yeah would i like all my guys to win by knockout in the first minute of course but this is fighting that shit's just not realistic to happen all the time so go go win by decision you think i was complaining that Bilal thoroughly dominated gill for for five rounds no i was loving every second of it so uh it is what it is mark g said damn still no shack what the fuck bro like you, you late to the party firstly all respect to shack you know shack was a great co-host um and he brought something great to the table but shack retired from podcasting like over a year ago 
you understand what I'm saying? You know, when I started the show in 2015, um, you know, I started by myself. And then in 2016, my first co-host was Sean Carey. Sean Carey was my co-host from 2016 till about mid-2017. And then when Sean Carey left, Shaq stepped up to the plate in mid-2017. And, you know, we had a great run together. Um, but, you know, Shaq uh, retired from podcasting, and I wish him nothing but the best, and I'm grateful for the time we had here together. But make no mistake about it, the show must go on, the show will go on, and the show's been going on. Um, so y'all just make sure you brush up on the history of the show. You know, if you got to date all the way back to the old shows, do so. But, uh, yeah, make sure. But, yeah, shout out. I hope I hope my boy is doing well. Um, let's see what else y'all say. Londo said, if Kim doesn't finish this chick, she should be ashamed of herself. UFC is giving her an easy win. I mean, she's probably not going to finish. She's probably going to get a decision win, but we'll see. We'll see. I'd love to see a finish because I'm going to be there in, a, in attendance. Um, all right. Anything else? Last call, last call, last call. Um, my boy, Rick, the, the ruler. Appreciate you, Levy. I appreciate you, Rick, the ruler. Thanks, man. Uh, Jafifer says, any underdogs you lean for DK? Uh, Matt Brown has got KO upside. Um, the Johnny Walker, jo Johnny Walker's got KO upside. Tim Means has KO upside. Douglas De Silva has close decision upside. Yeah, probably probably those. Uh, like one one or two of those has to probably come through, right? Kyle says, "What do you think about the next two pay per view shows so far? How would you rate grade them?" Um, so my problem with this question, Kyle, is. I don't like grading things before the fact. I like grading them after the fact. Because sometimes you'll shit on a card and then it turns out being the most all-violent card. And at the end of the day, I judge it on two things. My entertainment and what spots I was able to find as a gambler. And, you know, we just got to take it one card at a time. So when that card rolls around, ask me that question again. Nick says, hey, bro, wanted to tell you thank you. I hit a three-dog parlay thanks to you, Muhammad Yan and Steamroller after betting them individually. All right, so the last sentence is the most important part. Guys, remember, I never said to parlay those underdogs. I said to bet them all straight. So I'm glad you bet them all straight because reason being is this. Let's say Yan hit, but Bilal didn't hit. We still risked the same amount on both. We would have came out profitable. Both hit, it was red panty night. But if you want to just you know put a little bit on the parlay just to see if you can go big, cool. But you can't hold that against me. You shouldn't hold anything against me because at the end of the day, you're making the best for yourself. I'm making the best for myself. My money, your money, right? Um, but you got to play them straight for the same amount. So if one wins, you profit. But the fact that you were able to go in there, say fuck it, and land, and hit that parlay, hey, I'm happy to hear that you went out there and won some money. Um, my boy Dominic says, smash some like for Red Panty Night. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. Um, Dirty Rex said, Dan, I was on your side, but don't sit there and try to tell me that fighters winning by decision only versus finishers shouldn't go into capping fights. Yeah, I mean, you want to cap the method of victory, of course, but like if my guy goes out there and wins a decision, am I going to hold it against them? Like you can dominate someone by decision, and it's not a big deal. Like just go out there and do your job, right? Uh, so I mean, I don't understand, like. Yan Jown, and I thought she was probably going to win a decision. She knocked her out in the first round. Cool. Bilal, I was down with a late stoppage or a decision. Cool. Whatever. I mean, just go out there and do your job. That, that's all I care about. So, I mean, if we're talking DraftKings and trying to, you know, trying to project how many points they might score, okay, that's a different, that's a different story. But when we're just talking about betting and, you know, is this price accurate or not? Is there value or not? Then, you know, methods... Unless you're a prop guy, like methods, which I'm not, you know, methods are, I, I just care more about how they match up stylistically. But I, I hear what you're saying. Um, Kyle says, cheers from Brazil. Jailton, our next champion. Kyle, uh, Valeu, Armao. I appreciate you listening to this, man. Uh, muito obrigado.
Um, Usoi said, hey, Dan, just so you know, Battle had an injury and got sick the day before his last fight. I think he's the side this week. Yeah, but okay. He, he got sick, but, you know, he still he landed three strikes in a three-round fight. So if he wasn't st- if he wasn't sick, would he have landed like ten strikes in a three-round fight? Like he he just wasn't he's just not good enough to beat that guy. This guy might be different. So we'll, that's why you know this is a closer fight. So we'll find out. Um, Dominic says fire Derek clearly, or as I like to call him, Derek can't see so clearly. Um, Derek Rex said props. I feel you too, Dan. Great show. Thank you, man. All right, y'all. Uh, this is like the millionth last call. Anything else y'all got for me? Now's now's the time. If not, I'm getting out of here. Once again, thank y'all very much for all the support y'all have shown me. Glad that last week we were able to come out there and have our biggest event of the year so far. Zhao Nan, three units. Uh, Bilal, three units. So it came out to like a plus eight and a half unit night or something like that. I'm just pissed I didn't max bet both like I initially wanted to. But I was like, man, I can't get arrogant. I should have got arrogant, right? But it is what it is. There's going to be many more opportunities ahead. So just take it one event at a time. Use proper money management discipline. Always bet Yan Jianan and Bilal Muhammad. Thank you guys very, very, very much. Um, smash the like button if you haven't. If you're not subscribed, please subscribe. When this is over, leave me a comment. If you feel so inclined to share, that'll mean a lot. Uh, later tonight, I'm on Addicted to Combat. Uh, thanks to my man for having me on as well. And then shout out to everyone that had me on last week too. Um, and if you're in, if you're at UFC Charlotte, don't hesitate to, if you see me, come say hi. If you're at the event, you can reach out to me um, and let me know and I'll be around hanging out. So, and shout out to Dan, uh, my buddy Dan, that hooked me up with the tickets for Charlotte. Really appreciate that, bro. That's, that meant a lot. You didn't have to do that. So the fact that you went out of your way to, to hook a brother up, uh, really meant a lot so thank you for that the early way in podcast just say uh hit Xiaonan big last week and inside the distance plus 800 damn i know my boy is out here laughing all the way to the bank things you love to see it you know what i'm saying so congrats man all right y'all thank you all very very much again truly truly appreciate it um i'll be back next week next few cards i'm gonna be having some guests so if y'all have any recommendations for guests that you'd like to see that you think I'd mesh well with, someone that you think is entertaining, informative, that's not going to bore the the fans, um, that you think I'll mesh well with, uh, y'all let me know as well. So, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate it. Best of luck this weekend. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.